So, uh, if you have your Bibles, Romans 8. Uh, Romans 8, where we'll be today. Uh, for those of, the, those of you that are new, uh, really glad that you're here at the parks. Uh, typically, what we do is uh, preach through books of the Bible, which we'll be doing that. We'll start an, an Old Testament book, actually, uh, in two weeks. Uh, but we have been on a, uh, a, a short little journey here uh, for the last uh, week, and we'll be on one more week, on the person and work of the Holy Spirit. And uh, for those of you who don't know, I, I came back from uh, June, July sabbatical, and, uh, and really this is um, me uh, processing um, not only what the Lord uh, is doing in, in my heart and my wife's heart, uh, but, but what I sensed also for the last really um, 11, 12 years have led this church, um, what, what he's desiring to do in us corporately. And uh, so in, in many ways, this is unvarnished and unpolished, just going, he, here is where I feel the Lord leading us and calling us and stirring us. And it was too, um, too uniquely focused on um, God, the Holy Spirit, uh, f- for just a short season. And I know like three weeks is like overly ambitious to unpack the third person of the Trinity. Okay, so I get that. Um, but there is this constant work that, that, that he's doing. But I want to look specifically at, at a couple things. And, and so I'm going to read uh, Romans 8, 1 through verse 25. So you get the, the context. That's not the whole chapter. We're a few short. Um, but you'll, you'll get the context there. And then just, just unpack it as we look at what does it mean to experience uh, God, the Holy Spirit, in our lives individually and in our lives uh, corporately. And so I know you just sat down. Stand up, all right, in the honor of reading God's word. You can sit the rest of my message. Um, Verse 1, chapter 8 of Romans says this. There is therefore now no condemnation for those who are in Christ Jesus, and all those saved say, Amen. amen. That's right. For the law of the spirit of life has set you free in Christ Jesus from the law of sin and death. For God has done what the law, weakened by the flesh, could not do. By sending his own son in the likeness of sinful flesh, and for sin, he condemned sin in the flesh in order that the righteous requirement of the law might be fulfilled in us, who walk not according to the flesh, but according to the spirit. For those who live according to the flesh set their minds on the things of the flesh, but those who live according to the spirit set their minds on the things of the spirit. For to set the mind on the flesh is death, but to set the mind on the spirit is life and peace. For the mind that is set on the flesh is hostile to God, for it does not submit to God's law. Indeed, it cannot. Those who are in the flesh cannot please God. You, however, are not in the flesh, but in the spirit. If, in fact, the spirit of God dwells in you. Anyone who does not, belo- does not have the spirit of Christ does not belong to him. But if Christ is in you, although the body is dead because of sin, the spirit is life because of righteousness. If the spirit of him who raised Jesus from the dead dwells in you, he who raised Christ Jesus from the dead will also give life to your mortal bodies through his spirit who dwells in you. So then, brothers, we are debtors not to the flesh to live according to the flesh. For if you live according to the flesh, you will die. But if by the Spirit you put to death the deeds of the body, you will live. For all who are led by the Spirit of God are sons of God. For you did not receive the spirit of slavery to fall back into fear, but you have received the spirit of adoption as sons, by whom we cry, Abba, Father." The Spirit himself bears witness with our spirit that we are children of God, and if children, then heirs, heirs of God and fellow heirs with Christ, provided we suffer with him in order that we may also be glorified with him. For I consider that the sufferings of this present time are not worth comparing with the glory that is to be revealed to us. For the creation waits with eager longing for the the revealing of the sons of God. 
For the creation was subjected to futility, not willingly, but because of him who subjected it in hope that the creation itself will be set free from its bondage to corruption and obtain the freedom of the glory of the children of God. For we know that the whole creation has been groaning together in the pains of childbirth until now. And not only the creation, but we ourselves, who have the first fruits of the Spirit, groan inwardly as we wait eagerly for adoption as sons, the redemption of our bodies. For in this hope we were saved. Now hope that is seen is not hope, for who hopes for what he sees? But if we hope for what we do not see, we wait for it with patience. This is the word of the Lord. I'm going to take a drink. Um, So just to recap really briefly uh, last week for those of you that weren't here. um, I talked about uh, um, times in our lives as believers. Okay, as believers, where a spiritual fog can roll in. And that may be because of despair or sufferings, even that are painted here in in Romans 8. You may be aware of it. You may be unaware of it. But the thing about literal fog and spiritual fog is this, that it is absolutely disorienting. Thick, dense fog. It's disorienting. It it overwhelms us. It, It confuses us. In John chapter 14 is the chapter we unpacked last week. Jesus telling his disciples, really, right before he goes to the cross, he's going, guys, look, for one more time, I'm going to tell you, I am going away. I am leaving you, which throws his disciples into a spiritual fog, if you will. Confusion, despair, going, wait, what? This isn't how it's supposed to be. It kind of dashed their expectations of what Jesus was going to do with them as disciples. And Jesus' clarifying point in John chapter 14 to kind of clear the, the air, clear the fog for them, if you will, is this. He said, I'm leaving you another helper. Because Jesus also said something to the disciples that was also not equally as despairing, but, but in, in those talks in John 14 and John 15 and John 16, he would tell his disciples, I'm going away. And here's what I want you to do. I want you to obey everything I have commanded of you. I want you to listen to all my words. And in fact, those who listen to me are those who love me. And so imagine this. Jesus is going, I'm going away. And I'm giving you another kind of uh, opportunity here to fail me. It's like, uh, I want you to listen to everything I've said. And they're like, Jesus, we walk with you for three years. You know, we don't listen to what you say. And you're right beside us. Okay. And Jesus is going, I hear your despair. And so I'm going to give you what he says is a helper. And that's kind of a weak word in our society, in the English language. But in the Greek, it's this idea of a paraclete. That's actually the word, parakletos. It's the one who comes beside you. It's the one who is the comforter. It's this advocate who's constantly going to be advocating Jesus to you. Jesus goes, I know you're in despair. I know you're confused. I know the fog is rolling in on your life, but here's what I'm going to do. I'm not just going to make you a promise I'm not just going to say, I'll never leave you nor forsake you. I'm actually going to give you my presence. And that's the Holy Spirit. That is God, the Holy Spirit, coming into our lives to lead and to guide, to advocate, to argue with us, right? You need to be argued with sometimes by God, right? And that's what the Holy Spirit does. The Holy Spirit, as we saw when the disciples go, how are you going to manifest yourself to us, Jesus, if you go away? He says, I'm going to manifest myself by the Holy Spirit, the spirit of truth in you to tell you the truth. And do you remember what the second thing was? He says to bring to your memory or to remember all things. 
right? Because we're forgetful, are we not? We slide into despair and we're like, God, where are you? And he's like, don't you remember I said I'd never leave you or forsake you? Don't, don't, don't you remember all of those times, even in your Old Testament, right, where there was another in the fire? Sometimes the Holy Spirit reminds us with lyrics to a song. Don't you remember the song you sang on Sunday, right? He'll remind you of that this week, right? That I'm still with you. Oh, yes, you're going through something that is very hard, that is suffering, that's very real, but my presence is with you. My Holy Spirit is with you. And so I am really grateful that the Holy Spirit's advocacy doesn't end with just getting us saved. Aren't you? That his advocacy continues day after day, working in my life, in your life, and in this church to restore back the image of God that was tattered since Genesis chapter 3. To convince our wondering minds and hearts of, day, of Jesus every single day. That's how prone to wonder we are. You remember when we preached through uh, Hebrews not that long ago? Right, you guys finished it without me over sabbatical. Appreciate that. Um, what was the tagline? Do you remember that? Jesus is better. Who convinces you of that? The Holy Spirit, right. The advocate, the helper. Don Thorson, he's a... Uh, professor and theologian at a university on the West Coast says this. He says, Christianity should not be considered a passive placeholding based upon an atonement achieved long ago. Christianity is to be experienced as a dynamic present day relationship with God, which benefits both who we are and how we relate with others. Dynamic, experienced, present day reality. How is that possible? The Holy Spirit. Now I want to look at what that looks like because I can hear some of you. I've heard it before, the pushback on something like this. Kyle, you, you can't trust your experiences. You want to talk about experiencing the Holy Spirit? Well, isn't that so subjective, right? This experience is different than this experience. This, my experience is this. You can't trust your experiences. Um, in my hearing that, I always follow it up with a question. And here's the question I followed up with. Explain to me, if, the, if they're a believer, um, explain to me how you were saved. Explain to me your salvation story. And all of us who have had that collision with the grace and mercy of Jesus Christ, we begin to, ex- we begin to explain what? An experience. An experience where, again, like I said right after worship, where our hearts were running away from God, the Holy Spirit got a hold of our hearts, revealed who we were, but more than that, revealed who God was, and he redeemed us, and we were overwhelmed with the grace and mercy of Jesus Christ, and we put our faith and trust in him, and our lives now are lived under his allegiance and his rule. That, listen, friends, that's an experience. You can't even explain salvation apart from an experience with the Holy Spirit. Now, I would go there if you would say, you can't trust your feelings. Right, feelings, fleeting, but an experience. Now, again, let me give a very important caveat. All of our experiences are submitted. Submitted to the Word of God. Who inspired the Word of God? The Holy Spirit, right? Typically the answers are Jesus, but in this sermon series, they're the Holy Spirit, okay? Who inspired the the Bible? The Holy Spirit did. And so if your experiences and your feelings come into contradiction with the word of God, that would be the Holy Spirit contradicting himself, which he has no part of, which he has no part in. And so that's why in looking at the question, what does it mean to experience the Holy Spirit? We look into the word of God. 
We don't just put an open mic up here and go, hey, everybody, let's tell us your experiences, even though many of them, or maybe even most of them, would be potentially really valid. We want to look into the Word of God and go, this is how God has designed us as His children to experience Him, because He has. He's designed us not to be merely satisfied with knowledge, intellectual assent alone, but He has brought it down into our hearts to affect every facet of us, our emotions, our feelings, that we would in the fullness receive the delight and joy that Christ has afforded to us through the Holy Spirit as a corporate body and as individual believers. Okay, so Romans 8, we're going to move quick. What does it mean to experience the Holy Spirit? This very real presence, this very personal presence, this very intimate presence and powerful presence that God gives us. Um, You think I'm going to start at verse 1. Right? Verse 1 is a very familiar verse, probably heard it, you know, preached. There is therefore now no condemnation for those who are in Christ. I want you to be convinced of that, and I think this is the route Paul is taking. He wants you to be convinced of that, and you're only convinced of that when you truly experience the power of the Holy Spirit in your life. How does that happen? Go down to verse 5. For those who live according to the flesh set their minds on the things of the flesh, but those who live or experience the Spirit do what? Set their minds on the things of the Spirit. Two contrasting things here, setting your mind on the flesh or setting your mind on the spirit. This is an experience, okay? We set our minds as people on a lot of different things, don't we? Probably even in this space and place, we find our minds wondering, right? A mind set on the flesh or the things of this earth is, is hostile toward God, Romans 8 says that. Did you see that? It's hostile toward God and does not submit, it says, to God's law, for in fact it cannot because the Spirit's not within them. So there's two things uh, there that, that are very interesting. When you think about hostility toward God, what do you think about? What comes to your mind? What, 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 what comes to your, your, your thought process? Maybe it's somebody raising their fist, somebody shouting, somebody red faced going, I, I can't stand you, I don't believe in you. Okay, let's, let's look at the Gospels, Okay. Who were the most hostile toward Jesus? Who was God? God the Son. You can say it. The religious, right? The religious were the most hostile toward God. And I am choosing my words very carefully here. One of the most slippery slopes that I think we can find ourselves on as a church is the hostility of religiosity or the pharisaical hostility, right? This idea that we have all the knowledge. Who had all the knowledge back in that day? The Pharisees. Who had really a lot of the power? The Pharisees. Who not in a million years would ever submit to the lordship of Jesus Christ? The Pharisees. The ultimate hostility toward God. The ultimate hostility is this, believing and rejecting God's appointed way of salvation in favor of your own self-saving effort rejecting God's way and saying, I know better. That is the ultimate hostile statement toward God. God, I know better than you. Now here, hear me. I don't think anybody would let that roll off their lips in this room. But you let it roll off your life. You let your functional living say that. That is hostility. That is setting your mind on the flesh, not on the spirit. 
that is experiencing this, 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 this submission, this, um, this idea of opposing God in a very real way. And what Paul is trying to drive home to us is this. No, I want you to experience the Spirit's peace and freedom and life. Here's what it looks like. You setting your mind on the Spirit. So what we can naturally conclude from verse 9 in this chapter is this, that those who set their minds on the Spirit gladly submit to the rule and reign of Jesus in their lives because the Spirit is alive in them. Submission is an experience. Submission is something, yes, that as our minds are set, permeates our hearts to go, Jesus, I'm going to willingly and gladly surrender and submit my life to you. And that has ramifications, doesn't it? experiential ramifications for you and I. And one of those experiential ramifications is seen in verses 13 and 14 of Romans 8. I told you we were going to go fast. It says, by the Spirit, put to death the deeds of the body. You want to know one of the primary roles of God, the Holy Spirit, in your life, in my life, and probably the one you would have gotten right on the test, right, is what? The conviction of sin is the conviction of sin. But it doesn't just stop there with the conviction of sin. It goes on to say, listen, the experience of the Holy Spirit convicting you of sin, right? The deeds of the flesh, that your mind set on the flesh, is this, the power to overcome it. The power to, to believe that Christ Jesus has forgiven you and to not live under condemnation, Romans 8, 1, right? We're gonna keep coming back to that verse. How do you believe that? You believe that when you understand that the power of the Holy Spirit is in you to free you from sin, Now, believer, the Holy Spirit is in you to free you from sin, to convict you, to lead you into a life of joy and peace, right? Not one that's free from suffering. Suffering will come. We read that in Romans 8. Not one that's cupcakes and roses and we're just skipping in the mountaintops. No, one that understands the presence of God and the kingship of Jesus in our lives that doesn't lead to condemnation, but actually leads to joy. It actually leads to peace. You see, that's the difference when you know that that the Spirit is convicting you versus just guilt, worldly guilt. Worldly guilt will produce shame. It will produce condemnation. Spirit-led conviction and experience with the Holy Spirit will drive you to your knees in repentance. And when when you are driven to your knees in repentance there, guess what you're met with? Not God's frown or his fist. You're met with his what? His love his grace, and his mercy in Christ Jesus. Have you experienced that? Or how far back do you have to think when you last experienced that? If you go, man, I remember 1987. (laughs) It's been a bit. No, the Holy Spirit is doing this daily that we would experience the love of Christ wash over us daily. And now Paul, it's, it's like he's just moving and set our minds. Now he's conviction of sin, power to overcome sin. He's getting down to our hearts. We're, look at this. In verse 15, he says, for you did not receive the spirit of slavery to fall back into fear. And that's really good news. Especially as the Holy Spirit illuminates our, 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 our shortcomings still. Where we still have work He goes, no, you didn't receive that spirit to fall back into slavery and to fear. But here it is. You have received the spirit. Notice that's a capital S 
on that spirit of what? Adoption as sons, and I would add daughters in this room, by whom we cry, Abba, Father. Now, let me drive this home with a point. Um, My wife and I, we made the mistake of watching the local news uh, two weeks ago. Um, And on this particular local news, and I don't know how often they do this, if they do it nightly or weekly, uh, but there was a segment where they highlighted uh, a young girl who was my daughter's age, my oldest daughter's age, um, who is in our foster care system. And... uh, And she, they were doing this story with her. And she was talking about what she longed for. And she's like, I, I long for a family. I long to be brought in to, 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 to loving parents. I, I, she said, I, I, I want my mom to, to braid my hair. And I want my, my dad to, to, to read a book to me. And uh, this messed me up in more than one way, but... Um, I read Romans 8, where it talks about you, child of God, you, daughter, you, son. You've been adopted by the king of kings. You've been adopted into his family. That little girl in that news program wasn't going, listen, what I really need is a transaction to happen down at the Dallas County Courthouse, okay? What I really need is for them to stamp some papers in Collin County. And then it goes, what is she begging for? What is she pleading for? She's pleading for an experience with a family, an experience with a father. Listen, I bet she has had a bunch of books read to her at school. I bet she had them in her foster homes. I bet all that happened. I bet she had her hair braided. But what does she want? She wants her dad to read her a book. She wants to have an experience in love to know this is my family. This is my father. And this is what Paul is getting at. And I think this is the culmination here of Romans 8 to go, listen, when you understand your adoption, when you understand you're saved and the spirit of God is in you, here's what happens in your heart. You cry out, Abba, Father, tell me that's not an experience. Tell me that's not somebody who's been captured by the grace and mercy of Jesus Christ and is overwhelmed to go, you're my daddy. That's the translation. That's somebody who gets it. Yet I am so worried. And I'm just, listen, these aren't Metroplex sermons. I'm talking to the Parks Church. I am so concerned that we are just satisfied with a transaction that happened a long time ago, that the papers have been stamped, that our eternities are set. Yes, that is important and that good, but we've lost the reality and the experience of what the Spirit wants to do in us, in our hearts right now, that'll cry out, Abba, Father. Like that little girl in the news program, that's, that's, she got it. I want a dad. I want a mom. I want an experience. But yet we forfeit that, what, for just mere intellectual head knowledge? And God's going, no, I want to work something so deep in you. So much deeper, so much further, so much more intimate with a closeness. Why? So you get goosebumps? No. So you get a quiver in your liver? No. Right? So you fall down, stand up. I don't know what the spirit does. I don't know how you experience it in that way. I don't care. But here's what I know the spirit does is that there is an increasing joy in the love of the father toward you as a son or daughter that happens when you truly experience the Holy Spirit. That's what happens. A delight, a joy, a non-squandering of spaces and places like this. Listen, I think some of you are going to be really surprised when you get to heaven. You want to know why? 
Because the experiences here, and this is what Romans 8 tells us, the experiences here with the Holy Spirit are meant to be first fruits of the kingdom to come. They're meant to be these, these, these imperfect shadows of your, your, your future eternity with God. I think some of you are going to get there and be like, why isn't everybody sipping coffee? That's what we did down there. So you get to, you, like the foretaste is so, so shallow. And God's going, no, I want you to experience my love. Delight in my love as a son or daughter because I put my spirit within you. And he's also quick to clarify that there is this waiting period. There's this, he uses the words groaning and longing. And he says what? Be patient. The Holy Spirit, the experience of the Holy Spirit in our lives looks like giving us patience. Patience as we hopefully anticipate, hopefully long for the day where Jesus comes back and makes all things right in our lives and in the world around us. And then really, the rest of Romans 8, once we get that, the rest of Romans 8 really is like a hit list of coffee cup verses. But we don't understand those until we understand God the Holy Spirit who is meant to be experienced in a powerful and profound way, pressing the love of the Father in us. Listen to these. And we know that for those who love God, all things work together for good. You ever heard that one before? The only way you trust that is when the Holy Spirit is real in your life. What then shall we say? This is verse 31. If God is for us, who can be against us? Some of you are going, it feels like God is against me. Who is the one advocating that he's not against you, he's for you? The Holy Spirit. Verse 35. Who shall separate us from the love of Christ? Here it is. Shall tribulation or distress or persecution or famine or nakedness or danger or sword or spiritual fog or doubt? Or, go on down the list. Shall any of those separate us from the love of Christ? Verse 37. I love Paul. No! In all things, we are more than conquerors through him who has loved us. The only way you believe those verses is if the Holy Spirit is really alive in your heart. The only way you don't look at those with skepticism and a raised brow is if the Holy Spirit is pressing and drilling into the love of the Father through Christ Jesus. That's his role, John 16, 14. To make Jesus known so you can stand. There's nothing that can separate me from the love of God. I can't separate me from the love of God has for me. Nothing, nothing, not trial, not tribulation, not confusion, not elections, not political parties, nothing can separate us. Praise be to God. But you only believe it when you experience the power of the Holy Spirit. And listen, there is a scale of intensity by which we can experience the Holy Spirit in different moments and seasons and spaces in our lives. I absolutely believe that. Now, here's where I want to land. That's the what. How? How do we experience the Holy Spirit? The first way is this. It's back to Romans 8. There's an openness. Set your mind on the Spirit. That is an active openness and a receptivity to the movement and person and work of the Holy Spirit in our lives. There's a patient anticipation. God, I want you to move. God, I invite you to move in my heart, in my life. God, I want you to pour yourself out 
on me. I heard one pastor use this uh, picture, and it's perfect because uh, we experienced this with our three-year-old son, Cal. We were at a water park in Allen. And you know those buckets that fill up, and then they get, you know, then, then they just pour it on you, right? Um, so they had one of those, and Cal saw it, like, dump, and he's like, oh, I need that. So he walks over to it, right, in his floaty, and he just, he positions himself right under the bucket, right? And it fills up, fills up. You know, kids are running in and out. Parents are running in and out. But he is fixed on it. And then all of a sudden, you got it. It fills up. And it just, boom, it dumps on him. I mean, he might have hit the floor like that first time. It was just so heavy on him. And he gets back up. And guess what he said? Again. And guess what? He stood there. Like, he had the patience of Job. Like, over. I mean, people were coming in and out. And like, look, look is it ready? No, no, no. And we'd see people, like, they, they think it's about to tip. And they would, like, sprint over there. And they'd miss it. And my other kids, like, they'd be like, oh, we missed it. But Cal, guess what? He never missed it. Why? He was there in patient, hopeful anticipation. Lord, do it again. <laughs> You're laughing. But here's what God wants for us and from us. To come into his presence day after day, not just in church gatherings, but in hopeful anticipation. Lord, we're going to position ourselves under the bucket of your grace, under the bucket of your presence. Pour it out on us. Pour it out on us. God, it seems like you're not moving. Pour it out on us. And I want to have a heart like Cal when it happens, like the song we just sang. Do it again. I want to know the Father's love again and again and again. I want to experience his goodness and his grace again and again. That's what it looks like. So it's an openness. And the second thing, and I'm not going to spend a lot of time here because I know you know it. The second thing you have to do is you need to open the word of God. How do I experience the Holy Spirit? Well, ask him and be open to receive and then open his word his inspired word. And here's the beauty. When you look into it, you see those rails that our lives, our spiritual lives run on, right? We call them spiritual disciplines around here. Prayer becomes something where you're seeking God's presence and you're seeking his heart so the Holy Spirit might speak to you. His word becomes alive to you in a new way because you're, you actually have a living, breathing relationship with God, right? Not just an intellectual one, right? in fasting, and in all these other disciplines, generosity, and silence, and solitude, the Lord says, oh, you've hoisted the sails. Now watch where my wind blows. But for many of you in your lives, you've kept the sails down. And so this morning, listen, I don't, and I know the irony of this statement, we really don't need one more sermon. Fair? You've heard hundreds of sermons, even from me. You've heard probably three podcasts this week. What we need is we need the Holy Spirit's wind. We need the Holy Spirit to breathe life on that which we know, that which we've heard, and make it afresh, right? This sermon, again, it's hoisting the sails, it's laying the kindling, whatever metaphor analogy you want to use, right? It's useless apart from the Holy Spirit breathing, apart from the Holy Spirit setting our lives individually and corporately on fire for the glory of God and overwhelming us with his love. That's what I long for. I, I, don't, I don't want to stuff my head with any more knowledge. I want that to permeate down to my heart and actually begin to live in light of it and allow that to change me and shape me, me to experience it in new and profound ways. Listen, God is so good that he does that, right? He doesn't have to, but he does that because he's a relational God. And so our hosts, come on down. Um, we're going to take communion um, as we are now every week here at the Parks Church. 
Um, don't squander this time. Steward this time. Don't just use this to go through the mo- Listen, that's what we're fighting against, going through the motions. Ask the Holy Spirit to speak to your heart. What is he speaking specifically to you this morning? Ask him, Lord, set my life on fire for your glory, right? That's a dangerous prayer, all right? That's what I'm going to pray right now for us. Father, with our heads bowed and our hearts anticipating coming to these tables of communion, Father, I pray that you would take all of the knowledge about you, even the things we have heard and seen in your word today, and that you would set that on fire for your glory. God, that your wind would blow however you see fit into the sails hoisted in each of our lives and here at the Parks Church. God, let us not flippantly grab these elements, but to see that this, even this, this action is an experience with the risen Savior. I love you. Holy Spirit, let us hear. Give us ears to hear right now. In Jesus' name, amen.